Today's episode is made possible with support from Bremer Bank. Work with a banker who understands your business goals and how a strong banking relationship will help you achieve them. Work with Bremer Bank. Put Bremer to work for you today at bremer.com. The funny thing is, like, we've been on Shark Tank, we've been on national television multiple times, and still no one has heard of Pussy Baby. No one. I would say nine out of ten at least people that come to our booth, we say, hey, have you heard of Busy Baby? No. Uh, maybe I've seen it on TikTok. I don't know. I don't think so. Tell me. What is it? People have no idea. And then we'll give them the demonstration and they'll see how cool it is and they'll say, oh, you know what you should do? You should go on Shark Tank. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine, coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship cultivating the next generation of problem solvers and innovators. The school offers undergraduate and graduate programs in entrepreneurship and corporate innovation, as well as community resources to support new ventures, family businesses, and corporate entrepreneurs. And now, by all means. you know the busy baby story from seeing founder Beth Finbo on Shark Tank or reading all the local press that accompanied her national TV exposure in 2021. And you might assume that this brand is now a huge success because of that early spotlight. Well, Busy Baby is successful and it is growing, but there's a lot you didn't see on TV. Things like making the decision to finally leave a day job, figuring out how to market a baby product to consumers, creating a company advisory board, and realizing that even $5 million in sales doesn't get you to profitability. But sharks or no sharks, you can bet on Beth to figure it out. She's an Army veteran with more than a decade of corporate experience and a work ethic that comes from having a dad who owned his own business and taught his daughter to just keep going. We grew up with our dad owning his own welding business down in Albert Lee. Okay. I grew up going there, sitting in the break room as a four-year-old, you know, having beef sticks with the, <laughs> the employees and getting all dirty. And then as I grew up, I started sweeping floors, mowing the yard was one of my very first jobs, 25 cents an hour. Mm. Uh, and then once I was in high school, I started taking on some of the dirty jobs that he had that I was capable of doing. And it was a great experience because we were able to see a lot about how a business is run. And there was a lot of ups and downs. And we saw our dad take advantage of trends. He was able to see something going on in a certain area of the automotive market and kind of created an extra side business that brought in more business hmm. until engines changed. And then that went away. And then he got a motorcycle and found a unique way to modify a muffler on it and started another business doing that. And until they stopped making that model of the motorcycle. And he still gets, you know, trickle in business from it. But we got to see how a business runs and how you can add to it and, and how you can deal with slow times. And, and he taught my brother and I both that you need to love what you're doing, no matter what it is in your life. Because when the times do get hard, and they always do at some point, if you have that passion and love what you're doing, it's not, you're, you're going to get through it. Yeah. So did you feel like that was your path? I mean, you wanted to be an entrepreneur because you made the decision to go into the military. Yeah, I wanted to do that. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to be my own boss mm -hmm. and I wanted to have the freedom of scheduling my life like my dad did. He worked a lot, but he was able to leave work for a few hours and, you know, come to my softball games. And then if he needed to go back and finish up, he could. There was sure. no one telling him when he had to be there. So it seems a little weird that I would go into the army where they absolutely tell you everything that you, where you can be at what time and what you're allowed to do at what time. Uh, but it was more because I, I didn't really have interest in college. Um, I had gone post-secondary education. So my senior year of high school, I actually went to college and I wasn't really that into it. And I also didn't know what I would do as my own business. Mm -hmm. And I happened to be in college in Mankato when... It was spring break. I had written a bad check for tuition. And so while all my friends were in Cancun or Mazatlan, where it was nice and warm, I was in slushy, cold Mankato working to get a paycheck to put in the bank before the school would cash the bad oh, check that I had written. Yeah. And it was then that a recruiter called me and said, do you want money for college? Do you want to get out of Minnesota? 
and travel the world. <laughs> it's like, yes, I do. Aha. So they caught me in a weak moment. I went in and signed up and, and left that, that summer for basic training. And, and that was 10 years of my life. Did 10 years. Did you did you expect to stay that long? No, not in a million years. I was going to do the minute, bare minimum, get the GI Bill, so that way I would have the money for college yeah. and, and then get back to figuring out what road I wanted to go down. But you obviously liked it. I had a lot of experiences in the military. I loved that I got to learn and experience so many new things. Mm-hmm. But in reality, at the end of my first tour, I went through a bad breakup and I had my whole life planned on this relationship and he was going to stay in the military. I was getting out. I was going to be the military wife. And then that relationship ended. And I thought, what do I do now? Hmm. And the military offered me a new job that I would get to go to school and do more training for and then a duty station in Italy. Hmm. And I thought that sounded fantastic. So I said, yes, sign me up again. I'll stay. I'll stay longer and, and learn another field of business, which was broadcasting, huh. and go live in Italy. What, yeah, that doesn't sound bad. Um, what lessons from the military from that time in your life inform you as a business person today? I think it is the problem solving and tenacity. So they, they teach you over and over in all of your training in the military to solve problems. And you train and train for your mission, for your job. And then when you get deployed, or you're, you know, you're in a real world situation and something doesn't work as you trained, mm-hmm. you don't have a choice but to figure it out. You know, when I was in Iraq, I was a videographer and we had, you know, dust cases and stuff for our equipment. But the first dust storm that came in, it was like the worst blizzard you'd ever seen in Minnesota, like mm-hmm. just pelting you. It was painful. And when that storm moved through, there was dust inside my equipment and, you know, audio and video equipment doesn't work well when it's dusty. And it wasn't like I could just go back to the station and get a new camera. We were in the middle of Iraq. Yeah. <laughs> you have to figure it you out. It you have to figure it out. So I found a way to make it work. I found, you know, some canned air from the auto mechanic guys. I started, you know, wrapping all my stuff within garbage bags and, and we made it work and we got through it. And That's just one example, but that's what you have to do in business. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to have things that come up that are unexpected and you just can't even have the mentality of like, well, that didn't work. Shoot. I -hmm. guess this isn't going to happen. That's not even a thought. It's, oh, well, here's a new wall. This is a new interesting challenge. How do we how do we get around this one? Right. Absolutely. So when you got back, you ended up taking a regular Nine to five corporate job, right? Exactly what you didn't want. I did. Because what happened is in 10 years in the military, you have a steady paycheck, you have full health benefits, you don't have to worry about anything. Uh And then I come get out of the military. It's like, oh, I I have to get insurance. And, you know, this entrepreneurship, you don't, you know, you don't start out with a paycheck. And I still didn't have anything that I was super passionate about starting. Mm -hmm. So I used my GI Bill money and I went back to school and I got business degrees because uh, that's where my interest was. And and then I had, you know, an opportunity to get a, a decent corporate job that paid a good salary. And mm-hmm. I bought a house and I finally settled down. And, you know, I just I I liked the security of it because that's what I was used to from the military was that security of having the steady paycheck, having the insurance benefits and not having any worries. Yeah. Do you feel like throughout all of that, I mean, were you looking for the big idea? Did you make lists of possible businesses you could start? Was it that intentional or just something you had in the back of your head? No, it was in the back of my head. I I kind of got comfortable with having the good salary and yeah. having the the insurance, somebody else paying for it. And it wasn't exciting for me. And I didn't love having, you know, to answer to anyone. But all of the roles I've held in my, you know, corporate careers, and even in the military were very singular. I wasn't part of a big team. I was given a task and sent out to complete the task on my own separate from the rest of the organization. Yeah. So I was still working autonomously. I was still, you know, having my own challenges to figure out getting that satisfaction of accomplishing things on my own and not needing to depend on other people to Mm -hmm. accomplish things. So it was okay. 
<laughs> it was just okay. It was okay. And yeah. then you're out to lunch with a friend and her baby. Or, yeah. And, and inspiration struck. Well, first I had my own baby. And it was a bit of a surprise. I was 40 years old. Um, I kind of given up. I'd always wanted to be a mom. Mm-hmm. But by the time I was, well, I was, got pregnant at 39. And it was with my now husband. Um, but we were just dating at the time. And it was a bit of a, oh, Okay, <laughs> this is We're happening. Doing this. Yeah, I mean, we we had already talked about wanting to do it down the road. Yeah, but you know, first we wanted to get married, and then we wanted to have a family. Yeah. Um. So things went a little bit out of order, but I, you know, had our first child when I was forty, and took maternity leave, took the full three months off that I could, and then when I went back to work, two of my stay-at-home mom friends took us out, took me out for lunch, and they brought their daughters with them. And it was a very small, crowded pizzeria in Rochester. And the little girls were cute, but reaching for everything, dropping everything. <laughs> this was pre-pandemic, but the one mom was a bit of a germaphobe and had to wipe everything off. And it was just a big distraction. And so I pulled out my phone and I went on Amazon to see what can I buy. So when my son is big enough, he won't be that distraction when we go out to eat. Mm-hmm. And what I'm curious, I've heard you talk about that moment and that realization what were you even searching for? Like, what were you typing? What were, what did you think the answer was going to be? <laughs> I joked with my friends as I was searching that we should make little T-Rex outfits for them that has like a little chain that connects to their elbow. And then you it's like Velcro it to their back so that they can't reach what's in front of them. And then when the food comes, you could like release the Velcro from the back and then their arms could reach it. the food. <laughs> so it was just I, I didn't know what I was looking for. I, I was looking for, you know, um, suction cup things or, you know busy things for kids, Mm -hmm. entertain kids at a table. Right. So right away it was the idea of something that was going to stay put. Yes. That a toddler could not constantly knock off of a high chair or a table. Yes. But and there were there are tethery type things you can use. But the other important factor was you needed a clean surface for the baby's food. Mm hmm. You're not going to put baby's food onto the porcelain plates and normal dishes because those are going to get knocked onto the ground. And my friend, the germaphobe, was like, you do not want to put your baby's food on the table itself either because they wipe it with strong chemicals or the rags are, you know, reused and not cleaned well. So it needed to be a clean surface for the food and a way to attach toys to keep them entertained so that they wouldn't end up on the ground. Okay. Did you actually at this lunch share that idea with your friends? No, the idea hit me the next day. Okay. And what did you do then? Did you quit your job? (laughs) <laughs> no, 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 no. But I did get home. I, the The idea came to me on a drive. And I came home from work that day and I got a quarter sheet uh, baking pan. So just a small baking sheet and silicone caulk. And I squirted the silicone into the baking sheet, which stunk so bad. Um, and then I, you know, another, I actually was pumping. I was pumping breast milk on my drive. Mm-hmm. It was my daily routine. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, part of my pump. On your drive? You could yes, do that while yes, you were? Yeah. That's impressive. You get a special bra that holds the contraptions yeah. and you set it up before you go. And and, and multitasking is my, <laughs> is my superpower. Yes. But so there was an aspect of that. So I took part of my pumping equipment and filled that with silicone. And that was the very first stinky, stinky prototype. Uh-huh. And then from there, I was like, this actually could work. And so I started buying things on Amazon. Um, the original placemats that I purchased were for your dog's water bowl or your cat's food dishes. So they don't slide around and yeah. it's got a little lip yeah, around the edge so that mm-hmm. if it spills, it won't like go onto your floor. I got various sizes and thicknesses and, and everything of those. And then I ordered a bunch of different suction cups and found some special glue that lets you glue rubber to rubber. Hmm. And then my husband had some fishing tether things down in the basement, and I, you know, glued those to one side of it. And Were you a crafty person? I mean, had you ever done hands-on, you know, things like that? My dad's a woodworker, so okay. we've done a lot of woodworking projects over time, and I, I enjoy that. But beyond that, no, I'm not creative. I'm not a good artist. I'm not good at arts and crafts, you know. Well, you, but you figured this out. How long did it take to get to a prototype that you thought, we could try this on a on a kid. Well, I made one for myself, and then one of my best friends had a baby eight days after me, so I made one for her, and uh, that was really it. That was the end of it. It was like, here's just a thing we can try. 
I hadn't fully thought of making it a business yet. Really? It was just I needed a solution to that problem. Mm-hmm. And so it was a couple months of, you know, just ordering stuff and cutting and gluing stuff until I got something that was sort of worked. And did your girl or boy? That boy. You had, you, OK. And did he did he like it? Yeah. Yeah. My son liked it, but we didn't really go out to eat much. So I didn't really use it much. I had it. But my friend Kate, she went out all the time. And one day, about a month after she had had it, she reached out to me and she said, oh, my God, we forgot your mat thingy last night. And I didn't realize how useful that was until I didn't have it. Hmm. And you need to make this thing for real. And I was like, hmm, how would I make this for real? Like, what would even the next step be? Yeah. So what was it? It was I called the SBDC and found someone who could help me figure out, like, how how do you start a business? Like, yeah, small business. I need to do an LLC or something. Mm-hmm. Or when do you do that? What stage do you do, you do that? Or like, what do you do first? Hmm. And did you have a name in mind? I didn't. Not at the time. Um, the name came quickly and easily, though, which is not the case for the next business I'm starting. We still don't have a name. But I was my baby did not like to ride in the car seat. And so he would cry and cry and cry unless I was singing to him. So I would get tired of singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star and ABCDFG. And so I just started to be singing my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so I'm singing along with like, what can I do to keep you busy, baby? <laughs> and That's I was like, good. busy, baby. I like the alliteration. Yeah. It rolled off the tongue. And so I... It was available. You incorporated as Busy Baby. Yep. Okay. Right. It was the first first try. It was available. The URL was not available. So the URL became Busy Baby Matt. So now when we look at, you know, naming a company, it's like, well, let's check the website. Make sure the website's available first. Hmm. We ended up buying the URL for Busy Baby a few years later when the price came down. But I think it was like they wanted $16,000 for that URL, mm. whoever owned it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I bet even more once they uh, saw you on Shark Tank. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, no, it, that's when it got cheaper was after Shark Tank. Oh, that's amazing. It's shocking. So um, so you were able to get good help and support from, what, a small business development center? Was this, like, in the Rochester area? That was or? the start. That was the start. So the gentleman who was manning the booth in Rochester took me to Red Wing Ignite. And, you know, that's another place that helps people who are trying to start businesses. And I walked into Red Wing Ignite with my little cut and glued prototype. And I said, I have this idea. Don't know what to do with it. And they said, you know what you need is you need a professional product developer. And Mm. they pointed me to a professional product developer. Now, that relationship didn't work out, but it got me on the path of learning. What do you look for in a product developer? What does that relationship seem like? You know, with that person that they had connected me to, he wanted like 25% of the company right off the get-go. And I was like, well, I don't even know if you're any good at what you do or like I I can't I don't I don't want to do that yeah but But you found someone right who you could work with yep and every time that I've needed I've run into something like I don't know what I do next I mean today is a great example of this is what I do I find somebody in this ecosystem because Minnesota has an amazing entrepreneurial ecosystem of support and so today I, I'm at a point where I need an advisory board. We're growing so much bigger than I'm able to manage now. Hmm. I need to connect with people who have experience, who are brighter than me. We don't need them on staff full time, but I need some, I need some mentors who are going to care and want to help us. And, and that's an advisory board. Mm-hmm. So I asked um, John Stavig at U of M while I was there today. How do I create an advisory board? What does that even look like? How do you do it? Do you pay the people? Do you give them equity? Like, how does it work? And, hmm. and you learn. And then I'll get pointed to another resource in the state that can help me with the next step. Mm-hmm. Um, do so. you pay an advisory board? You can. You can. Interesting. What I learned is that they're more interested in the right people who want to help you will take just a fraction of a share. So that way, if, if they advise you well and you do well, then they get something in the end. And if not, then, you know, it's not hurting you as a small business. Mm-hmm. It's not coming out of your pocket. But what I would do is I will meet with them maybe once or twice a year and I will compensate them for their time when they come to meet with me. Interesting. OK, good. I think there are a lot of mysteries like that. And it's great to know that. I mean, you just have to ask the questions. There are a lot of places in this state to, to get them answered. Um, and you've taken full advantage of that. So You found a product developer. You've got an actual, like, prototype that's ready to sell. This is what year? 
2018 into 2019. And what did you do? Where did you did you immediately start trying to get on Shark Tank or did you set up a website? Did you start selling? What happened next? Well, I got a website early on, which was a benefit of working with SBDC. They have resources that will even set up a website for you for free. So I had a website. And then I was taking advantage of a course offered by Bunker Labs. Um, Bunker Labs is an organization that helps military um, veterans and their families who want to start small businesses. They hold your hand and help you through the process. Hmm. So I was attending a a 12-week session with Bunker Labs. And Shark Tank that year, 2018, reached out to Bunker Labs looking for veterans to feature on the show. Mm. I was not ready at all. Mm -hmm. I didn't even have a real prototype, but I took the producer's email address and I shoved it in my Gmail contact list just for later. I would reach out when I was ready. Yes. So now fast forward a year, I get the the products developed, I get them made. I have my first shipment ready to ship out. I send an email to every person I've ever gotten an email address from saying, busy baby has launched. Get your baby gifts here. You know, mm-hmm. go to my website. Mm-hmm. And did they? Did did you start selling? Well, we had pre-orders open for about three months, and I sold about a hundred units. Okay. In that first three months, and then, then they started slowly. Word of mouth. You know, my. You know, I think of those hundred orders, I knew ninety-five of the people who ordered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all friends and family. But they were buying it as gifts for people that they knew in their lives. And then those people would tell their sure. friends who had babies. And so it started to That's slowly it spread. Yeah. But one of the people I emailed by accident, not realizing it, was the Shark Tank producer. Oh, my gosh. So he responded to my email and he said, I see you're on the market. Do you have any interest in being a Shark Tank? What are your sales? I was like, well, my sales so far are about $1,000. <laughs> so I don't think I'm ready, but I would love to be on Shark Tank. And uh, he said, well, in order to set you up for success, he said, we take businesses at all stages. We take businesses pre-revenue. But in order for you to be set up to have the best chance of getting a shark, we'd like you to have at least 100000 in sales. I said, OK. Hmm. He said, get back to me when you've got 100000 in sales. Did that seem like even on your radar at that no. point? No. Yeah. I was like, all right, see you in four years. Right. <laughs> When we get back, how Beth got ready for Shark Tank in a matter of months, not years. Today's episode is made possible with support from Bremer Bank. When you're looking for business advice, everyone's got an opinion, an angle, a surefire five-step plan. But if you want to know whether any of it actually makes sense for your business, who do you turn to? Work with a banker who understands your business goals and how a strong banking relationship will help you achieve them. Work with Bremer Bank. Because understanding is everything. Put Bremer to work for you today at bremer.com. Beth had Shark Tank interested. Meanwhile, she hadn't even fully figured out how she was going to sell her busy baby mats or pay for them. Take a listen. The first PO I had to order from my manufacturer was 5,000 mats. And that all went down to my basement. And so I'm sitting in my basement at my desk and I'm looking at this wall floor to ceiling of boxes of busy baby mats. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I'm never going to sell all these mats. And like, we should say also, I mean, you you paid for this. You you funded this. Did you take a loan to, to get all that product started? Yeah, I won money in business competitions. I got interest-free, payment-free loans from the Department of Economic and Education Development, DEED, whatever mm-hmm. that stands for. Mm-hmm. Southern Minnesota Initiative Foundation, another Southern Minnesota resource, Hmm. gave me another loan that was no interest, no payment for a year. I sold a car. I borrowed (laughs) some money from my stepdad. And I was still working my full-time job. So whatever money was left at the end of each paycheck would trickle into the business as well. Wow. Yeah. So I had all these mats in my basement. Started a conversation with Shark Tank, but really it was just try to get people to the website. I had tried Facebook ads. They didn't work for me at all. So I didn't do that. I started doing expos and I would travel on the weekends to the, they're called Prego Expos. You fly in, you set up your booth. And for four hours, a bunch of new and expecting parents walk through looking for new baby products to buy for, you know, their, their new little ones. Huh. And I would just do the demo on the high chair, show them what it does. They'd say, give me two and, and one for grandma's house, one for my house. And I would take as many as would fit in my suitcases, 
I'd sell them in those four hours, and then I'd fly back home with empty suitcases and then go back to work on Monday. Wow. And it was was it was that fun? Was it energizing? <laughs> was it validating? Oh, it was or just I look, exhausting. <laughs> I look back now and I don't know how I did it because yeah. I was also going through fertility treatments and a high risk pregnancy with the mm. second baby. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember doing this hauling, trying to haul four suitcases while I was eight months pregnant um, through the airport, you know, into a cab and to the expo center and get in the doors. And I you know, could barely carry myself. Honestly. Yeah. But I did it. And it was so important to be in front of those people. Because that direct feedback and seeing what parts of my pitch lit them up. So mm. what what aspects of that I was showing them of all the different things the product can do or you, the different ways you can use it. What parts actually did they like, oh, yeah. Because mm-hmm. now I know that's something I can really push more everywhere. Sure. And highlight on the website and highlight in the product description. Like this is an important feature that seem people right. seem to care about really important with a consumer product mm-hmm. to be talking to the consumers yeah. so we still do these even though we've grown considerably we still try to make it to at least two or three of these prego expos every year huh. to be in front of the consumers and and talk to them about the product and the funny thing is like we've been on shark tank we've been on national television multiple times and still no one has heard of busy baby no one really i would say Nine out of 10, at least, people that come to our booth, we say, hey, have you heard of Busy Baby? No. Uh, maybe I've seen it on TikTok. I don't know. I don't think so. Tell me. What is it? Huh. People have no idea. And then we'll give them the demonstration and they'll see how cool it is. And they'll say, oh, you know what you should do? You should go on Shark Tank. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk yeah. more about marketing. But <laughs> when, at what point did you feel like, okay, now I'm ready? Did you really get to 100000 in sales? So... We got to about, well, I, should, I shouldn't say we, because back then it was still just me. Um, I got to about 50000 in sales, but then I got my first patent issued. Mm. So I reached back out to the producer and I thought, does this make a difference? I said, I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm only halfway on the revenue side, but I do have a patent now. And he said, yeah, that's, that's great. That's awesome. That does make a difference. He's like, but we just wrapped fi- filming season 11. So reach back out to me in January, February, when we start getting ready to cast for season 12. Mm-hmm. And so I said, oh, OK. And so, you know, I just kept selling. And then that's that's what happened is I reached out the next year and and we went through the process. And he says, send in your audition video. And and we went through many, many stages before flying out to film. You were so um, you did your homework. You had watched every episode. <laughs> You knew the sharks. You knew what businesses they were invested in. You knew what they were looking for. Um, you were, I feel like you're the poster child for being prepared. What were you hoping? I mean, were you really looking for thinking this is going to be the investment that you're going to take? Or was it just about the burst of publicity? I thought it was going to be life changing because Lori would want to do it for sure uh-huh. and get it on QVC because our I was learning that our target market wasn't just the new parents. It's the grandparents. Mm. It's the older generation that wants to spoil their new grandbabies or great grandbabies who know the pain of this problem that my product solved. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh, QVC would be fantastic. And then Mr. Wonderful, I was my dream was to get those two together because he could help me with licensing hmm. or and or going international. Mm-hmm. So that was my goal going in was to get those two. You, you weren't focused on Mark Cuban. No, I didn't think he would have any interest, honestly. Yeah. And he, you were right. He, <laughs> I mean, yeah. he was very, but he really liked you. Oh, he was amazing. Honestly, I wish America could have seen the whole conversation and all like I was in there for an hour. Yeah. But it gets cut down to 10 minutes. And yeah. he was out of his seat, yelling at Lori at one point, told her, you're just disrespecting her now. What? And I thought, oh, that's for sure going to make TV, like, for sure. But it didn't. Oh, um, interesting. But he was he was on my side. He was cheering for me. He was supportive of me. Uh, he was, he was, he's my favorite shark by far. Yeah. A lot of, I think a lot of people feel that way. So in a nutshell, what happened was Lori did make you an, an offer. But she wanted she wanted 20 percent of the company and you wanted to give five. Initially five. Yeah. OK. Yep. Thinking that you'd go as high as 15 percent. Yeah. Right? I, I put 15 as my internal cap. OK. How in that moment, take us back there. And she's like, 18 is the lowest and you're <laughs> caught in this. I mean, and you were just holding firm and sh- so was she. Did you come close to, to giving in? 
Not even close at all. Really? Why? Because the part you guys didn't get to see is my mission and vision for the company was to grow the product line and grow the brand and get into retail and even international. I mean, this is a problem babies cause everywhere in the world. They Um, all drop things. Doesn't matter what language you speak. And I had my second, my prototype of my second product. I had it there and showed them this is my next product that I just invented. And then there's more I want to do. And what was it? What was it? It was second? our teething spoon. It's okay. a teether and a training spoon, and it's modeled after my Venus razor handle. So that's a fun <laughs> story. My son got a hold of the handle of my Venus razor when he was about one. No blades on it, just like the handle part. Good thing. But those razor um, handles are like a firm plastic that is coated in a textured silicone. Yeah, it's like bumpy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was curved just enough to fit his little hand, and then the end was firm, but also had this bumpy silicone on it that was perfect for chomping down on his molars that were coming in. And so I had written a note in my phone that said, you know, like my new invention list, and it was the razor teether. (laughs) (laughs) And so when the time, when the, the idea kept growing inside of me, and I was like, oh, and I could put this base on it that attaches easily to our tethers. So there's no trying to like, it's a very easy attachment to the mat. And then they could teeth on it, but then they could also use it as a initial training spoon mm-hmm. when they're just starting to learn how to eat. Mm-hmm. And so I was really excited about that product, and I, I pitched it to them, um, didn't make it on TV. So for me, I felt really strongly that was the direction I wanted to go with the company. She wanted to set up an appointment with Munchkin and license the mat to Munchkin mm-hmm. and sit back and let the money roll in. Yeah. Um, and she said, you know, I'm going to get you more uh, upfront payment than you could ever get on your own. And yes, that's probably true. But even if she got me this $100,000 upfront payment, it would have left me still in debt. And there's no guarantee that Munchkin will actually produce and sell the product. Mm -hmm. So I would get a royalty at some point if they made and sold and marketed the product. Mm -hmm. But there's no guarantee of that. And that upfront payment wouldn't have been enough to even get me out of debt. So for me, that wasn't a risk I was willing to take. Mm -hmm. And that was the only direction she wanted to go. Wow. And so you didn't get to see that much of the conversation. You just saw the kind of negotiating part. Did you speak to her afterwards? No, you don't get to. That's it. You turn around, you walk out the door, and then they have you talk to a psychologist first to make sure you're okay. Yeah, yeah. And then you leave and you, you, they tell you, we will let you know two to three weeks in advance if you're going to air. Right. There's no guarantee you're going to make it on air. Mm-hmm. So we'll let you. And that was the case. I didn't hear from them for months and months and months and months until February 10th of 2021. And were you, I mean, after you walked out of there without a deal, I mean, did you feel empowered and fired up or did you feel like, what did I just do? I felt so good because of the support I got from Mark and Mr. Wonderful for anybody who didn't see the show but knows of him. He's typically not nice. Yeah. <laughs> he's usually the mean one that yeah. says, you know, take they all behind love the to barn. And him. Yeah. He was so supportive. And hmm. he, he's, he called me a rock star. He said, man, you're the real deal. And he said, the baby market is hard. And he, he tried to go out multiple times and I wouldn't let him. So at the end, he finally went out. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. OK, you're out. I get mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. But he was really supportive. Mark was really supportive. They gave me a sense of confidence that, okay, I can do this. Like, if they think it's so hard, I I mean, I thought it was hard because I've never done it before. But I didn't think it was so hard that it wasn't worth investing in. Mm -hmm. And then, so the show does air. And and what happened? You did get a a spike in in sales online? Massive spike. Okay. Massive spike. We did six weeks worth of sales in three days. Hmm. So the show does work. And two weeks later, no one had heard of us. Really? <laughs> it, was a, it was a fantastic marketing event. Yeah. And there was, for about two weeks, you know, that, that first three, four days was just massive sales. And then it kind of like trickled down, trickled down. And after about two weeks, we settled in at a new normal that was just slightly higher than our pre-Shark Tank normal. Mm-hmm. And then we started hearing, oh, that's a great idea. You should go on Shark Tank. (laughs) Literally just worked two weeks ago. Wow. So what's the what's the takeaway from that? What would you tell other inventors or founders if they're, you know, going on the show and hoping for that big surge? How would you Uh, prepare for it differently? You know, what I would say about my experience now that I'm a few years past it is I thought Shark Tank was gonna be life changing. 
And it was just not in the way that I thought. So one thing that I think is really important about having a small business and growing it is having a network of people that you can lean on. They say it takes a village to raise a baby. It takes a village to run and grow a small business. Mm. So what actually came out of Shark Tank is a network of all the other entrepreneurs that have been on the show. We're all in a Facebook group. And there's no sharks. There's no other. It's If you were on camera in front of the sharks, you can be in this Facebook group. That's it. And we share resources. Mm. We talk about what's working, what's not working. We meet in person. I'm going really? to Florida in February to meet with about 30 of us are doing a little meetup where we can share ideas, film content for each other. It is the most supportive network of people. And we're all in that same boat. We're all, you know, our products may not be related. Some of us are competitors. Mm-hmm. But we all have this experience of coming up with a company, going in front of the sharks, going on national television, and then you get off that show and people think, oh, they've been on Shark Tank. They must be millionaires or they must be so successful now. Mm -hmm. The show actually didn't really help much at all. Mm -hmm. But these these people that are now in my life are, I mean, one of them was in my wedding last year. Hmm. We've become such good friends and and my regular, I say my regular friends, my pre-business friends don't understand the intricacies and the issues that come along with having a business. So I can't have a bad day at work and say, oh, this thing happened without giving them like a bunch of, even with my husband, Mm -hmm. I've got to give a little bit of backstory to get to the point of like why this thing that happened today was kind of bad. Mm -hmm. With my business friends, I can say this happened today and they go, oh gosh, that, sorry, like that sucks. Here's what I did to try and get out of that situation. It's important to have that community. As far as the the marketing what, what ha- the marketing event, I think that's a that's mm-hmm. a great way of putting it. Could you, in hindsight, have played that any differently? If you had had like a bunch of your own, you know, promos ready to go or something, do you think you could have extended it? No, no. we did. I mean, we did that. I got you know, I was on the the front page of my hometown newspaper, and mm-hmm. and you guys even did a story up here. We did, yes. Twin I was on business. Yep. I was on the local news. I was in the Minneapolis news. Mm-hmm. I mean, I we pushed hard, and it got a lot of people to watch, and it got those sales. But when you're talking two weeks past, now you have a whole new set of entrepreneurs on Shark Tank that people yeah. are looking at, and and nobody really cares. I mean, yeah. it's a cool thing, and it and the one other good thing I guess out of out of it is it makes you a little bit more interesting in a conversation. Mm-hmm. So you can be having a conversation with somebody about your business. And then when you say, oh, and when I was on Shark Tank and they say, oh, you yeah. were on Shark then you become more interested. There is a certain legitimizing factor of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Did you get any calls from retailers or manufacturers or anything on that side? We got a lot of calls from people who wanted our business. So they wanted to be our marketing team. They wanted to manufacturers who wanted to manufacture for us, um, which we we already had manufacturers who were great. Mm, mm-hmm. A lot of people that were going to help us grow our business. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of solicitation, which was not fun. Yeah. Nobody loves to be pitched something that they're not looking for. Right, right. So no, there wasn't, there wasn't anything like that. And it almost made it harder to get in stores. We've talked to stores and it's almost like they don't want something that's been on Shark Tank because that's too, mm, you know, niche or to as seen on TV. Hmm. So did that change your plans as far as, I mean, would you have expected that online would continue to be your, your main platform at this point in? It was only because that was the year of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it was, I was ready that year. So the year of 2020 was when I had all of my first retail packaged mats coming. So my initial products. I knew I was e-commerce. I didn't need fancy packaging to send my products in the mail to people. Mm -hmm. So I didn't invest in that. I just, the product came in a plain white poly bag that had the Busy Baby logo on it. And then I made a little brochure that I stuck in with each envelope. So the next PO that I put in with my manufacturer, I had my products packaged in something that would work on a retail shelf Mm. that met all the requirements for labeling and had a UPC on it and looked nice. And those arrived in January of 2020, Mm. which is when I had baby number two. So my plan, which was going to be perfect, was I'll have this baby. I'll have three months of maternity leave. So that's going to allow me to go store to store to store and to restaurants. And I will take my products out and get them everywhere I can within driving distance. Mm -hmm. Well, then obviously we all know what happened. The store shut down. The restaurant shut down. Everything shut down. And so that's when I shifted and 
and started investing in the Facebook ads and and doing everything e-commerce because that's what everybody was shifting to. So that was a huge year for us. So that's really interesting. So you were able to make the shift as far as how you were selling. But I'm curious, did that change the buyer perspective? Because, I mean, you had really been thinking of this like this is something you need when you go out. Mm-hmm. People weren't going out. Right. Did you shift t- the way you talked about it? Was it something to use at home too? Yeah, 100% because we started getting feedback from customers saying, oh my God, this thing was a lifesaver because it kept my baby busy for 30 minutes while I had to do a Zoom call mm. because now everybody's working from home. They've got to you know, homeschool the, uh, the bigger kids. They've got the baby they've got to keep entertained and busy. They've got Zoom meetings. They've got to, you know, mm-hmm. spouses are taking turns. Busy watching, baby. You're right? The, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so keep the baby busy. So that's what it did. So, so once you saw that online worked, did you just kind of double down 100%. on that? Okay. Yep. And and today, is that still, is that the best strategy or is the bigger, longer term picture going big retail? There's a, been a big shift. It's almost like COVID didn't happen. People are going back to stores. Mm-hmm. People are not shopping as much online. Now we have inflation. So what was working really, really well for all of 21, 2021 and even into 22, this year is not working. The really? Facebook ads are costing more. And, and as consumers, we're now trained to just scroll past them. Yeah. You know, you just go past it. You well, just, and we, the algorithms we, have changed yeah. and all And of privacy it. settings. So yeah. we can't target and reach the same people that we used to be able to reach. So it's not as effective anymore. And I think what our next move needs to be is to get into stores so that people will see us when they're shopping. They're mm-hmm. shopping for a baby and they can see us on the shelf and they can say, oh, what is this thing I've mm-hmm. never heard of? Yeah. Yeah. So that's our next our next move, hopefully, for 24. And what about other kinds of, you know, you mentioned that you feel like people still don't know the brand. What about just straight up advertising? Yeah, I mean, we've kind of been doing straight up advertising. It's just not working on those same platforms. So now we're looking at, it's kind of a funny world. Where Maybe you need to go to print. Yeah. I can help you out with that. Maybe. <laughs> As consumers, we all left our, you know, Dish Network and DirecTV and went to Netflix and Hulu and stuff. And now those are all getting so expensive. We're all paying now to see commercials again. So we might yeah. we might do some commercials on Hulu or you know, one of these these DTV platforms. And then we are going to start leaning on more experts. One thing that's been happening in our business is there's pediatric occupational and physical therapists using our products in their therapies. Mm-hmm. And we have more people reaching out to us looking for an adult version or a bigger version for aging or disabled people. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start another company and adapt our products for that community. But we, I think, are going to start leaning on some of these experts who are saying, yeah, this keeps your baby busy, but it also helps with their fine motor skill development and Mm. their, you know, visual tracking. And it's got all these developmental benefits. So we might lean on more experts to Mm -hmm. endorse us and share with their communities and also, you know, the the influencers of the world are still a thing. Yeah. Yeah. When you find the right ones and and you get them, you know, get get your happy customers to talk about you more. So challenges, I mean, just when you think you've figured things out, everything changes. But at the same time, you have continued to grow. At what point, I mean, you are profitable now or um, not? You hit we were. what, like five million dollars? <laughs> yeah, what did you hit? Like five million dollars in sales? Was that the big this milestone? Year, I heard. Yeah, this year should be five million. We've mm-hmm. got a couple weeks left, which sounds like a big deal, it but does not. sound like a big deal. But we had <laughs> to hire. You know, I've had to hire more people mm. to help us grow, and so we're in this weird stage of business where we're not small anymore. So I can't get away with doing things like just by my gut or. You know, throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing if it works. The the volume of things is bigger. The decisions are bigger. The risk is bigger. Mm-hmm. So that's the advisory board. That's the advisory board and hiring. You know, I can't keep making Facebook ads and video editing things. You were doing that yourself. I still do that myself. And <laughs> and you only quit your day job not that long ago, yeah. right? When did you go full time for Busy Baby? It would have been June of twenty two. Okay. Year and a half ago. Okay. Mm-hmm. Was there was there something at that point that that made you feel good about that decision? Like, okay, this is the right time. It was that I could not give to my corporate job what they deserved of me. I was, you know, doing too much of the busy baby stuff during my working hours, and I was still getting my job done well, but 
they honestly didn't need me anymore as much as um, I, I wanted a salary. I wanted the paycheck. Um, <laughs> so I brought that year I brought on my brother. So he needed a salary. He's got four kids and his wife manages the house and the kids and everything. So his income is the only you know in, income coming in. So and he had a great job, a very stable, well-paying job. And he gave that up to come to Busy Baby and help me. So I had to pay him enough because that's my nieces and nephews that you know, yeah. their life is at stake. Yeah. For me, I always knew I had I had my corporate job as a backup. And so if the business didn't work out, like I would be fine. Mm-hmm. But that hiring him was like, OK, now this business has to work because if it doesn't work, this is my family's livelihood. Like, mm. I can't fail now. And so in order for me to give 100 percent to make sure it doesn't fail and to make sure it succeeds, I need to be there 100 percent. Hmm. But of course, I also needed to pay the mortgage and yeah, <laughs> and daycare and stuff. So, so I had to take a salary, and and that was scary. And insurance, I mean, yeah, you don't get free insurance, yeah, <laughs> in this world. Did you notice a difference when you went full time? I mean, besides the fact that you weren't juggling your day job anymore, but just as far as what you could accomplish yeah. and how quickly you could grow. Yes, yes, and we did see more growth, and I felt um, more. I was always one foot in, one foot out Mm. because I always had this backup plan. Well, when you don't have a backup plan, you got both feet in, you give more and Hmm. you can go more. And it's it was just a it was more of me in that one place. And I think it was very helpful. Would you tell other entrepreneurs to do that sooner? I don't think so. I would encourage everyone to keep that regular income coming as long as you possibly can. Yeah. And put off paying yourself as long as you can reasonably um, as you if you're taking a business from nothing to something, you need to you need to not rely on that business to take care of you. Hmm. Otherwise, you get desperate and you make desperate decisions. And and that's not the best way to make decisions. Hmm. Interesting. Good advice. So at this point, you've developed other products. Are they they're all related to the original mat? Yeah, they're all products that you use when baby is between 5 and 18 months old to keep their stuff off the ground wherever you are. So it started with the placemat that suctions to the high chair or the restaurant table. Then we had a smaller version for strollers or travel trays or, you know, smaller things. And then we came up with these um, bungees that you can connect to the mats and attach the bottle or toys, or you can just use them on their own. You can wrap one around a shopping cart or stroller Mm. handle. And then the biggest complaint, really the only complaint we get about our busy baby mats is their suction cups and suction cups don't stick to all surfaces. People don't understand that. It's just science. It's not that our suction cups suck. <laughs> it's no suction cup will stick to your tile table that lets air in because it can't create a vacuum seal. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of restaurants that don't have smooth tables. And so we came up with a bib that has the same tether system that you can attach stuff to. So now no matter where you are, whether you're on the go in the shopping cart in your stroller at a restaurant with, you know, picnic table or no table, we've got something that you can use to keep your baby's things off the ground so they don't get dirty and full of germs and keeps Mm -hmm. them entertained and independent. Mm -hmm. So how do you right now divide your time between promoting and growing the original mat and developing new products? We put a lot of time and we actually came up with a toddler product, too. As my son was getting bigger and learning how to write, we developed a toddler mat with an app that teaches letters and numbers. Mm. We stopped that last year because I couldn't I didn't think of anything else that fit well. And a lot of time went to doing that. Mm -hmm. So we didn't grow as much because a lot of time was spent doing these, you know, projects of product development and not not actively trying to do things to grow the company. Got it. So we're pausing on that. And the second I decided to pause on that and not create new things is when I decided, let's make a whole new line of products for aging and disabled community. (laughs) (laughs) Same concept, same IP, just for a different market. Yeah. That's next. But I imagine, I mean, it's got to be hard to, to, you know, to decide where, where to put your time and your resources. What, what's the best advice you've received Focus on what you're good at. So we spent the last two years kind of trying to get into retail, but we're not, my brother and I, we're not good at that. We don't have the time, like we don't have the patience. We don't know 
what you need to know and to do what you need to do with dealing with retailers or sales reps or brokers. And so we were we kept trying to do it because we felt like we should do it. Mm-hmm. And we wasted a lot of time. And in the end, we it never felt good doing it. You know, we we do these retreats every six weeks and we talk about things that we've done well in the last six weeks, things we've learned in the last week, and then things that just kind of feel icky right now. Mm-hmm. And that was always the thing that felt icky. It's like going into retail. We feel like we should, but we don't really know how to do it. It's not working well. Every time we take two steps forward. I mean, we were onboarded with Bye Bye Baby. They put in a $60,000 PO and then they went bankrupt. Mm-hmm. So it's like we got all the way almost to the finish line and we're almost in this you know, great chain of stores. And then they went under and now all that work was for nothing. Yeah. So we decided, well, you know what we're good at is the things that we're doing online on our website and on Amazon and at these expos. So let's just do that because there's a huge market in the U.S. and we haven't even tapped into 1% of it. So mm. let's just focus on what we're good at. And So do you hire out the the getting into retail? That's the plan for next year. I we, see. We've decided, you know what, because as an entrepreneur, you also have this strong pull of you should do everything yourself that you can. Mm-hmm. But you realize you don't have the bandwidth to do everything. Like, just because I can do something doesn't mean that I should do it. Mm-hmm. There's certain things, like, you need to start having other people do. And we, we're we going to try to find people to help us with the retail side of things next year. Hmm. How big is your team right now? We've got my brother's full-time, and we have a full-time fulfillment gal, Kim, who's amazing. And then we've got a part-time customer service person and a part-time social media manager. Mm-hmm. And then we contract out everything else. Please tell me that all the product isn't still in your home. No. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> we moved out of my home about a year and a half ago, okay. and I ended up having to buy a property with a with a big building on it. And so now we're in one building because we were in my garage, my pole shed, my neighbor's pole shed, and I bought a <laughs> container to put on my property. And so it was – I live in the country, so we have lots of space, but when a container would be delivered to us, we would have to unload it into my yard and then sort and palletize things and then move them with my husband's tractor into the shed. Well, I mean, we had a container delivered in January and thank God it didn't snow and it happened to be a nice day because if it had snowed and been windy, it doesn't matter. The container's coming. Yeah. And we have no place to unload it and, and sort it and, and put things away. So now we, we have this big 7,000 square foot building. It's just beautiful and amazing and expensive. Wow. So, yeah. So another expense. Okay. So, but you still have not taken on venture or private equity money and are you determined not to do that we are we were we were very determined not to do that um but just recently last week actually we met with a potential investor very wonderful gentleman who's who's got some capital from selling his own business and is he just wants to help he just wants to help small business owners grow their businesses but for us, we're willing to give up equity to an investor who can help us grow, who's mm-hmm. not just a bank. We can mm-hmm. get money just from a bank. And so this gentleman, while wonderful as he is, didn't have anything to offer as far as helping us grow. Mm-hmm. So when we get to a point where we have a strategy and all we need is the financial infusion, the cash infusion, he'll be our first call. And then we're happy to do what we need to do to grow because that's our ultimate goal is to exit. We want to grow this thing up to a certain size, exit, and and move on to the next things. Because this was really an accidental business, you know? Yeah, yeah. We're having fun. We're, we love it. But it's not what we want to do forever. What do you want to do? Do you see it? Do you have other product ideas? I have an idea for like the grandest event center in southern Minnesota where we have 80 acres with activities. And it can be for corporate events, weddings, family reunions, all kinds of things. Huh. My brother wants to start his own 3PL or some other kind of um, logistics. He's a really good operator. And my husband's a farmer, and I would love to honestly just spend a few years with my kids and my husband. He's the sixth generation. Our kids will be seventh generation crop farmer. Mm. And to be able to help them in the farm business would also be really enjoyable for me. Hmm. So do you have a, a, a timeline in your head? There was a timeline of five years total. Like I was just going to grow it for five years and sell it, which that would be now. (laughs) It's not where I want it to be yet. Now that I've kind of gotten used to how this all goes, I feel confident we can grow it quite a bit more Mm -hmm. with what we're doing. So maybe in the next five years, maybe 10 years tops. Mm -hmm. 
What um, what would you say is the biggest surprise that you think most people kind of starting out on this whole entrepreneurial journey don't realize? It is all the financial, like it's so much more expensive than you ever anticipate. Everything has additional things that I didn't know were going to cost money. You know, I, I know you got to get insurance. I guess I never thought how much insurance would be. Mm. I mean, that's twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year just to have general liability insurance. And I didn't even think about insurance in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Additional costs that come with even just getting your freight, you know, to you. There's additional costs of taxes and duties and all these other things you don't know about. And and then taxes. Oh my gosh, I didn't know about business taxes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the the financial aspect of it has been quite a learning curve and definitely more than I ever thought it was gonna be. Yeah. And for us, it's been very important to hire really good accountants to help us navigate that and make sure we're not screwing anything up. Because I didn't pay state taxes across the country for the first three years. I didn't collect sales tax. It's I only, as far as I knew, I only needed to collect sales tax from Minnesota because I was in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And when you sell online, you don't need to. And that's true. At first, you don't need to. It's only when you cross a certain threshold that you're considered to have nexus in these other states where if you sell over a certain number of transactions or a certain dollar amount, that then qualifies you to need to collect state tax from those customers and then remit that back to that state. Oops. And so I, you know, I we were always so small. It, it really, we didn't need to, but then we weren't so small all of a sudden. And I thought, I wonder if I should be collecting and paying state tax in these other states. And so I hired a company to look into it and they're like, yeah, oh. you really, really, really should be. And so four states, you know, I paid them a lot of money to kind of audit what we were doing. And I wanted to make sure our books were clean. So in case there was a sale, everything would be clean. And so they did an audit. We in four states, we had to go back and pay some extra fines and, and file back a couple years. It's finally all cleaned up. Now we're collecting state tax. But I didn't mm-hmm. know. I didn't know. And And when that popped up, it was like, oh, gosh, that was a big expense that we had yeah. to eat and lesson learned. Yeah. Are you feeling optimistic about 2024? Yeah, I am. I am. I feel like we've hit, we had some very fast growth. We've continued to grow, but this year we're not profitable. Even though we've grown, we've had a lot more expenses mm. and, and certain things that we planned on, like marketing, didn't work the way it did in previous years. Mm-hmm. And so... Is that scary? It's scary, yeah. I feel like you're going, slipping back a little bit. It's... <sighs> Q4 is always really happy and exciting because that's when everybody's buying baby gifts. Yeah. And there's not as many people buying baby gifts this year because either we're not reaching them with our marketing or inflation is really hitting people. And our product is not one that you need to have. Mm -hmm. It's a really nice thing to have, but you don't need it to raise a baby. So we're seeing less sales right now than we are used to. And that does not feel good. Mm -hmm. But we do have plans and strategies for next year that I'm very excited about. Good. Well, we will be watching. I'm just wondering if you can get Mark Cuban to be on your advisory board. Ooh, that would be amazing. Because I have friends in the Shark Tank group, one of my friends is a Mark Cuban company, and she talks to him pretty regularly. So huh. I'll have her ask. Yeah, I'm, guessing, you know, I'm guessing he's busy with other things right now. But <laughs> Hey, if you don't ask, right? Right. You, you got to right. give it a try. Well, it's an incredible story, and I'm hoping that this will uh, help to raise a little bit of awareness. So many good takeaways. Thank you, Beth, for your time. and. I I hope you're able to to turn it around in your time horizon. Yeah, I hope that you have me back here at the end of next year. And I say, well, we just happened to double our revenue this year. So here's how we did it. (laughs) Goals. Hashtag goals for 2024. Yes. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, we'll definitely have to check back in with Beth at the end of 2024 to see if she meets her ambitious goals. You heard it here. And if you want to help her along the way, you can, of course, go online and shop Busy Baby at BusyBabyMatt.com. Well, for more perspective on Beth's entrepreneurial experience, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, where Alec Johnson is an associate professor and thinks a lot about this entrepreneurial journey and paths to innovation. So, so Alec, let's start with some of the key phrases and terms that you heard Beth talking about, you know, creativity and drive. I know that all of those words trigger some, some theories and thoughts for you. Thank you for having me. Yes, she invoked 
uh, the con, you know, passion and, and learn that from her father. Mm-hmm. And it's such a common belief system in uh, the entrepreneurial circles and in innovation that you must be, you know, you must have passion for what you're doing. And the problem with that is no one ever teaches us how to develop passion. To have passion, you have to become passionate. And that implies a process or a, a path. And Beth exhibited that beautifully. She actually exhibited that by first paying attention at dinner with her girlfriends and watching the kid kids throw stuff down. Mm-hmm. But then the next thing she does is Google and, and go to Amazon and look, right? So that's an act of curiosity. Right. And then when she doesn't find what she wants, she goes to the next step, which is an act of exploration, which is I'm going to go home and get out the baking pan and make my own. And, start, and then she thinks after looking at that, oh, there might be a product here. Now she's on a path from curiosity to excitement about something which is moving her towards having a passion for this business. So what is the takeaway for for would-be entrepreneurs? I mean, you've got to be open. You've, you've got to be looking for for ideas to, to start on that journey, don't you? You do. And so the takeaway is to, to pay attention to what's going around you, on around you, and be curious about it, and then find a way at a low cost and low risk to continue exploring that idea without overcommitting financially and time-wise. And that's exactly what Beth did. Okay. So curiosity, it seems like you can, you can open yourself and be conscious about that. But back to the, the passion idea, you can't really teach passion. You can't, but you can grow into it. So when we use the term passion, you must be passionate about your business. It feels like a one or zero. You either have it or you don't. And for most people, that's not reality. In their businesses and in their innovations, they grow into it through this pathway. Hmm. And so to say somebody must have a passion for it can preempt them from taking the first step, which Hmm. is to be curious and explore. Right. So it's sort of a dysfunctional belief system from my point of view. Okay. What do you mean by that? A dysfunctional belief system? Yeah. The the tent should be open to anyone to self-select in to explore innovation and explore entrepreneurship. But when we invoke these phrases so commonly, uh, you, you need to be creative, you need to uh, be passionate. Well, those are points of self-judgment. Hmm. And if I judge myself as lacking in those, and we all judge ourselves as lacking in things all the time, then we've, we start self-excluding from the opportunity. No, Beth is never going to self-exclude out of something she's she, you know, she's yeah. not that type of person. And it just showed in your interview with her how she behaved so positively. That's so interesting. I was actually at a party last night, a launch party with um, a, a bunch of entrepreneurs and and startup people. And there was someone there who said, gosh, I, I just would love to be in this world, but I don't have that wiring. I don't have that creativity. I should have said to them, that's a dysfunctional belief. Exactly. <laughs> and even even Beth said, you know, referred to herself as not creative, mm-hmm. but that's the wrong point of judgment. And she actually displayed what is right, which is creativity is a product of several variables, but, but one of them is motivations. She was motivated to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, two is expertise. Well, she didn't need a lot because it wasn't a complicated problem, right? but she built expertise through her prototyping process, and she built expertise by letting her girlfriend use it. Yep, yep. And, and then the third part is developing some critical thinking skills. And a big chunk of that is just being a good problem solver. And every time you solve a problem with an innovation, you unlock two or three more new problems that have to be solved that you didn't see. And she referred to oh, there's the next wall and I have to tackle it. And that's really common. So that, that persistence and problem-solving skills that, that she attributes to her military experience was great to hear because it's what I always talk about and I've seen in every entrepreneur I've ever worked with. 
Mm-hmm. They don't have to be creative, but they do have to be good problem solvers. Great. I really like that. And before we let you go, I just she she's solved a lot of problems. She hasn't quite gotten to where she wants to be in terms of profitability. She's on a major growth journey this year. What's your expert opinion? So there's a couple of ways you can grow your business. You can just further reach into your existing audience with your existing product, or you can bring new products along to that existing audience, which is what she's clearly done. And, and, and to a greater extent, that has worked. Mm-hmm. Where the trap door lies is when you start taking those products to new markets. So she talked about going after the aging and disability market. And you just have to be careful that you don't assume that moms with babies have the same need and value that somebody who's aging or in the disability category will have. You should start that innovation process over. Make sure you understand the user's needs from their perspective and then redesign and re-innovate for them. Don't just try to take your existing stuff to them. It might work, but seldom, seldom it does because those markets aren't the same. Great advice. Great advice. It will be really interesting to to follow along and see where Busy Baby goes next. Alec Johnson, thank you so much for your expertise. So much fun to talk to you. Allison, thank you. And thank you to our presenting partner, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship. If you want to know more about the show, go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. Thanks for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas, Opus College of Business, and Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, especially Dean Laura Dunham, for all their support. Our theme music is by Song Finch. Thank you for listening to By All Means. Music